I've titled my sermon this morning simply, There is Hope. I feel it's very obvious, even especially this morning, as there's a change for us in this church. In the hearts of many, there's confusion. There are questions. People are wondering what's going to happen. What will happen? In our community, in our country, across the globe, there's so much uncertainty, so much darkness, so much confusion, so much chaos, so much tension, so much division. Not just in the countries, but in the communities. And I'm sensing as a pastor, it's right through everywhere, even down to families, even between spouses. There are many questions we may be asking and don't have answers for. We do not know what the road ahead will be. What we do know is that things don't look good for this world at the moment. Will it get better? We don't know. Will it get worse? The Bible says in some ways it will. So I want to suggest for us today, there is hope. There is hope. But first I want to look a little bit, about, a little bit at false hope. What is false hope? There's a lot of false hope around. Many people would believe and would have us believe and preach this stuff and propagate this stuff that with the right government leadership, with the right government programs, the right government policies, the right enforcement, we'll get control of whatever it is that we need to get control of. And the, the list is endless. And if we get good leaders and make good policies, then we got this. I'm not saying there's no value, no merit, no substance to that. We do need good leaders, good politicians, and good policies, good programs. But to think that human beings have what it takes to fix the world's mess is to put our trust in the very people who caused it in the first place. The mess has been caused by humans, whatever the mess is. Why look to them for, to fix it? They won't fix it. The answers are many, the, question, the, the, the questions are many, the answers are few, problems are big. But I want to construct my sermon this morning around this, a bit of a framework to, uh, to uh, get a hold of this, this idea. It seems to me, most people look horizontally. What's under the sun, Ecclesiastes calls it. It's a horizontal view of the world. And I say horizontal for a reason, because we don't look to, the, to God or to the Bible or to the moral teachings of Christ. We look to the to here and now. And by the way, COVID is not by a long shot the worst problem that has ever fa faced the human race. Never. I mean, just talk to some of our forebears who knew people during the um, Holocaust. Talk about that. We look horizontally to fix, a hor to, to fix a problem that is not horizontal. The problem is horizontal in some way. The problem is first vertical. This, the problem is this way, not this way. It is this way, but first it's this way. And so we look to human beings with human solutions to problems that are, have a deeper, found, deeper base that's not about money. It's not about programs. It's more, more than anything, it's a moral character flaw. And to, to look to fix the human problem with horizontal solutions won't work. Horizontal thinking is short-term thinking. A better government, then things will be better. 
A better program and things will be better. I'm not saying, again, that those don't have no place. But unless the heart is changed, it's all temporal. It, it won't work. Horizontal thinking led us into the problems in the first place. Horizontal thinking will never lead to hope that we need. And, so, and sometimes, before it gets better, it just gets a lot worse. And none of us wants it to get worse. None of us wants to lose our money, our savings if we have any, or maybe the uh, house that we're making payments on, or the job that we so dearly need, so badly need. And of those of us who have okay made it, so to speak, we're set, we're maybe secure, maybe we have our house paid off and have our savings, and we're now at that point in our life is better. We don't want to lose any of that. I want to read a few verses out of the Bible, beginning Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And this is Solomon writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, I have it in two translations here. The first one is the ESV, and the second one is New Living. It says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In case that's a bit hard to understand, the New Living calls it, Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Where's hope in that? Now, I want to just paint a bit of a picture. We're going to go to Jeremiah in a few minutes, but I want to first talk about this guy a little bit. This was King Solomon, who's credited with writing the book. King Solomon was a man who had it all. He had money, more than he needed. He had as much money as he could ever want. He had property as much as he could ever want. He had education. He was wise. He had all knowledge. All the knowledge he could... He was the wisest man who ever lived, he said. It said. He had power... He had fame, he's popular. Anything that the human being could want, he could check off. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And that's what he said, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Why? Why would he say that? Because that's a horizontal view. That's why he said that. And it doesn't get better in the book as you go on. It, it gets actually worse. Let's go on to chapter 1 verse 3. It says, what does man gain? By all the toil at which he toils under the sun. So now he's fretting, he's worried, he's complaining actually. He has it all, achieved it all, attained it all, he's complaining. What does a man, what, what, what's the point? What's the point? A pessimistic, cynical view of life, that's what he's got. And then let's jump down to verse 14. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 14, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. He's a king, he's a politician, he's a, he's a, he's a farmer, he's a, he's a business owner of real estate, he's got gold, he's got silver, he's got, he had, he had a bunch of wives. He said, I've seen everything that's done under the sun. Behold, it's all vanity and a striving after wind. The horizontal view. There's no value. There's no benefit. There's no gain. There's no hope. A horizontal view of life. I just want to say to us this morning, the horizontal view will always fall short. It doesn't matter if you make a million dollars or if you make $10,000. It makes no difference. The horizontal view will leave us short. And yet, that's what our culture pushes. That's what our culture tells us. Get an education so you can make lots of money, you can go on vacation so you can retire nice. It will not work. These verses taken out of context are very depressing. They're very toxic even. And so it's important that we don't just take them, and, but I will take just them for this morning. I want to use another book to 
counter this. And I would suggest you go home someday and read Ecclesiastes. But make sure you read the last part of it. Because there he comes around. And he realizes, recognizes, acknowledges, you know what? The horizontal view doesn't do it. So he looks back to God and gives God glory. And he focuses back on God again. And he ends the book on a better note than he started it. He came to the conclusion at the end of the book that man's hope is in God. And that's what I want to focus on today. I want to f- focus on a guy today more than Solomon, who had achieved life stream and so on, but more on a guy that did not fit that category. I want to focus on a man named Jeremiah. I would be curious, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you ever read the book of Jeremiah? How many of you ever read his second book, Lamentations? Very fascinating story. Makes for good reading. His name was Jeremiah. He had a very long ministry. He was not Solomon who had it all, attained it all, achieved it all, popular, famous, powerful, rich. Jeremiah was different. Jeremiah started his ministry and preaching when he was about 20 years old. He was a 20-year-old Some of you here are 20 years old right now, or 20, or 19, or 21. You know what I'm talking about. The the world's ahead of you. you got your dreams. You want to achieve something, accomplish something, go somewhere, do stuff. That's not wrong. Jeremiah was a normal young man, as far as we can say. He preached for about 40 years, a 40-year-long ministry. Started when he was 20, and preached till he was maybe about 60, give or take. But what's so fascinating about his ministry is the failure, the defeats, the setbacks, the problems and challenges and obstacles that he faced in this journey. I like the story of Jeremiah, not because I want to be like him or experience what he had, but it gives me courage and hope reading stories about him, like him. And in his sunset years, everything had failed. He was dragged off to Egypt kind of like a prisoner of war. As far as we know, that's where he died. My wife and I are married almost 34 years now. Been in ministry for pretty much all of that time. Not yet 40 years of ministry. I often think of Jeremiah. I just like to say this, if there's coffee shops in heaven, I'd like to sit down and have a cup of dark roast and ask him, how was that? Preaching to that stubborn, rebellious nation for 40 years with no success. His sermons were prophetic in nature. He was preaching against the sin of idolatry, immorality, greed, and disobedience, and all kinds of things going on in the nation of Judah. He preached sermon after sermon after sermon. Nothing seemed to to take hold. His sermons were basically messages of calling to repentance, because God is going to judge the nation if they wouldn't. Long and difficult ministry. He suffered persecution, was heavily persecuted for it. There was no such thing as a good time for Jeremiah. People were not receptive. They abused him, persecuted him. At the end of 40 years of preaching, one writer said, there was not, there's no story of a single convert after 40 years of preaching. If there were, they were not mentioned. We can't say there weren't, but there's no record of it. How's that for a resume? And he wrote two books, Lamentations, Jeremiah and Lamentations. And the worst part of it all, he lived long enough to see it all come true. 
His nation collapsed, destroyed, many killed, dragged off to Babylon as prisoners of war. He got to stay behind. He was left as one of the poor in the land. And then after a while, there was another rebellion in the country of the remnant that stayed, and they dragged him off to Egypt. He saw what happened. He experienced what happened. He wrote a book about it. And that's where I want to draw attention for the next few minutes. Wearsby calls this book, Lamentations, it calls a list of funeral songs. I mean, funeral songs. He sang about the death of his country. Jerusalem was invaded, taken, and conquered, and destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Jeremiah witnessed it. His heart's broken. And he wrote, wrote about it. Wearsby says the prophet's tears are all throughout this book. And from what we can see, Wearsby divided it into five sections. And he said, first, there's the awfulness of God's judgment and lamentations of what God did. And God was right in doing it, the wrath of God. And God was true, his, his truth. And then his, the tenderness of God's heart. And then finally, the faithfulness of God's mercy. And that's where I want to draw our thoughts in chapter, in chapter 3. I want to focus our thoughts on, on lamentations Chapter 3, beginning verse 1. I just want to say that before we begin reading in verse 1, that this comes out of the depths of the heart of a man who's broken, who's lost hope. Let's read Lamentations, chapter 3, beginning verse 1. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the wrath of, under the rod of his wrath. He, meaning God, has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me in so I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Let's pause here for a moment. Who is Jeremiah lamenting about himself? He's focusing on what happened to him. He's writing this as an old man. Well, not old in our day, but in his day it was maybe a bit old. He's in his 60s, possibly. No story of success. No achievements. No accomplishments. Nothing to his name. He's not enjoying life. Things are not going well for him. Just look at the negative words. Let's look at the next slide here. Let's look at the pessimism. Affliction. Darkness. Adversity. Illness. Sickness. Besieged. Bitterness. Live like the dead. Walled in. Chained. Where's the hope? Where's the positive outlook in life? I want to ask us this question this morning. If someone like this came to you for counseling, what would you say to him or her? What, what message would you give that person? What would you say to him? This man knew the scripture. He preached it 40 years. Where would you point him? How would you direct him? The tremendous agony and struggle he's describing because the nation has been destroyed, people have been killed, they're off to Babylon, he's left behind with a remnant few, and he's lamenting and he's weeping. 
There's other verses here which um, we'll skip the next row of verses here. But let's jump down to verse 18, because it's pretty much the same as he goes on, but verse 18. This is kind of like the abyss. The thread breaks, he falls. It's like teetering on the edge, and it gets worse, and it's the final straw. And he says, verse 18, he says, So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope. What do you say to a man like that? For 40 years he had served faithfully, done what God told him, sent the messages God gave him, preached rebuke, preached repentance, and this is the result. It's like hammer blows that rattle the heart. How do you deal with it? Where do you turn from there? How do you respond to a man who's lost it all, whose life seems to have been for nothing? His mind is clear and sharp. He knows what he's talking about. He's been there. He's been through it. He's looked horizontally. He's looked vertically. And he's done. He's finished. You know what he did? He started not looking up. He started not even looking horizontally. He looked down. His endurance has died, so has his hope from the Lord. What do you do then? Maybe you know people like that. Sometimes when people get to that point, they get suicidal. They break down. How do you help them? More horizontal stuff won't work. It won't work. We have people like that in our communities, perhaps. Maybe even this church. We're dealing with heaviness, emotions, problems, hopelessness, where do you go? Maybe you feel like my endurance has perished, so has my hope in the Lord. What do you say? The horizontal perspective, even that has failed. It's sad when people get to that point when they make those comments. Those are true words. They're not lying when they say that. How do we help them? How do we respond when we get there? What do we do when the final straw breaks and the thread breaks and we fall off the abyss? It's like the flame has gone cold and we don't even want to move on. We're done. I want to challenge us this morning to grasp onto one thought. It is not over. Let's read verse 21. Again, we we're jumping forward here. Down to 21, um, verse 19 and 20 is more of the same. But and then he says, verse 21, But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. He was grounded and rooted in the word of God. He knew the word of God and says, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. He had lost endurance, he had lost, but no, there is hope. He refuses to give in, to give up. He looks up and he remembers. He focuses once again on what, is, what he can have with God. He says, verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He refuses to believe the horizontal lies of culture. The depressing, pessimistic news that's all around him. Yes, he's seen the destruction of his beloved country. Everything has gone down. But there's still hope. It's not all over. On the horizontal scale, it's all fallen apart. All hope is gone. But not vertically. 
He laments what happened, and it's okay to lament what happened. The suffering is real, the pain is real. But we have to keep the focus vertical up. God's mercies never come to an end, he says. Does this mean the physical problems are over? Nope, they're not over. But the focus is different. Let's read verse 23, says, verse 24. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. So the economy is busted. Government has changed. They don't care about us. We're done. But God's still there. The Lord is my portion, he says in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Another decision. He again anchors and fastens his hope in God. Not based on circumstances he faces, but on the things he knows to be true. And then he starts over again, verse 39. He says, why should a living man complain, a man who about a man about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to the God, of he- God in heaven. And he's ministering again. He's recaptured his focus. He's not beaten for good. He's been run over, thrown down, run over, and left for roadkill. But he's not done. He rises again. When he says, let's test and examine our ways, return to the Lord, let's lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. These are painful days, he knows. I won't read further in the book right now, but... um, I would encourage you, by the way, to sit down this afternoon and read Lamentations. It's a powerful book. From verse 42 onward, it's, it's again a message of lament, but he's not done. So I want to ask ourselves, where do we find us today? Did Jeremiah, at age 21, begin a ministry just so at age 60 or more he could say, you know what, I didn't make it. Life passed me by, and it's all over, it's done. He served God in the most difficult of times. And again, I would encourage you to read Jeremiah Limitation. Soak up, marinate yourself in the experiences he shares. Read the book with meditation. What I find so encouraging in his story is how God sustained him when from a human perspective all was lost. Horizontally speaking, there was nothing left, and it wasn't. But in the end, God was still God, and God is still eternal. You and I don't know what this world will come to. We face so many challenges at so many levels, and so many fronts, in so many ways. The young generation of our time is not going to have an easy time. I'm not going to paint rosy pictures for you guys. Times are changing, but God is not changing. What we have been taught and learned since millennia, thousands of years ago about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God still exists. Jesus exists. Our hope is in him. We have a vertical trust, a vertical hope. We're not based on horizontal focus. As I mentioned earlier, Jeremiah was dragged off to Egypt toward the end of his life. He could possibly not have known that this would happen to him. And as far as we know, that's where he died. We don't know what kind of end you and I will have. But what we can know is we'll be secure in Christ. We're called to repentance. We're called to commitment. We're called to service. 
in our Lord, and that's a vertical, that's a horizontal, that's a, ver it's a vertical view upward, and of course it encompasses the horizontal effect as well. And we as a culture need to repent, return from our sinful ways, come back to God. It may look hopeless from a human perspective, but that's a horizontal view. Let's look upward. Let's focus our eyes on Jesus. There is hope. Let's put our trust in God. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the words of Scripture. We thank you for the story of Jeremiah. We thank you, Lord, the way you dealt in his life. And we do know, Lord, that you have the same intention for us that you have had for everybody else. You created us in your image to serve you, to glorify you, and worship you. And you, we don't get to choose the circumstances necessarily, but we get to choose obedience. And so we choose obedience to serve you, regardless of what we may face. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.